0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Hey guys, before we dive in, just a reminder uh, about the Summer Sanity Challenge, which is the free 21-day meditation challenge that we're launching coming up on July 27th. The whole goal here is to help you boot up or reestablish or reinvigorate your meditation habits so you can be better equipped to deal with a tumultuous, to say the least, period of human history. Every day you get a short video followed by a free guided meditation. We spent a lot of time working on Curating the right meditations and putting them in the right order. And as I said, the challenge starts on July 27th. To join it, visit 10%.com/slash challenge. That's 10%, one word, all spelled out.com/slash challenge. There will, of course, be a link in the show notes. All right, let's dive into today's episode. How do you optimize your performance when life is utterly disrupted by a pandemic? Our optimism and confidence trainable skills. Can we get over our fear of other people's opinions? Those are just some of the questions we're going to tackle in this episode. We have two guests. Pete Carroll is our first interviewee, I believe, who has a Super Bowl ring. He's been the coach of the Seattle Seahawks for 10 seasons. He's the co-author and co-founder of Compete to Create, which is many things. It's a firm that works with companies to create high-performing teams. It's an online course that anybody can take, and it's also a new Audible original audiobook. Coach Pete's partner in this whole thing is our other guest. His name is Michael Gervais. He's a high-performance psychologist who has worked with MVPs from every major sport, as well as Fortune 100 CEOs, and he's the host of a podcast called Finding Mastery. We had a great chat. My son bombs it in the middle so you'll hear that as well a brief mention of avocado toast which is embarrassing so here we go with coach pete carroll and michael Gervais. gentlemen really cool to be connected with you coach uh, we haven't met before but it's great to meet you and michael great to see you again
1: good to be here thanks for having us
0: so uh, since i've had the pleasure of grilling mr gervais before um let me pick on you a little bit coach You and I say this as somebody I told you this before we started rolling here. I I know nothing about sports, but I do know you because I've been reading about you and following you for years, given what an unusual approach you have. You use terms like uh, human centered culture. You talk about compassion, meditation, training the mind to an outsider, at least that all seems Potentially at odds with the brutal world of the gridiron. So how did you come to this approach and and what what are you doing? Uh, yeah. yeah, I'll leave it there. How did you come to this approach?
1: Well, when you talk about meditation, you bring up other concepts that fall into Eastern philosophy or whatever. It doesn't compute very well. And it's always just people in your position always kind of catch on to that and want in what the heck's going on? What we're doing is we're trying to be the best we can possibly be. We're working at helping people find their ultimate best. And and in doing so, there's a process involved with with that. We have our interpretation of, and we have worked through where we have come to totally understand the value of, of mindfulness and the value of being centered and the the value of having a quieted mind when you perform, the value of being able to focus, you know, uh, uncannily and in such manner that that you can exhibit everything that you have to offer, you know, your sport. And uh, so I found the connection with Dr. Gervais years ago that we spoke a lot of the same language, but yet the language he was speaking, I didn't understand at the time. He had to bring the science to me. He had to bring bring me updated so that I could make sense of things that I was instinctively doing and and, and kind of came naturally. And so I understand that people question that it's been questioned for over the years, but it can also be very misleading too. Uh, All performances call for, if you want to be at your best, call for this kind of ability to center your focus and and that's mindfulness. And so we're just trying to work really hard at it, make sense of it, uh, share it with our people and our players and bring a, a sense of trust to the challenges of our our game.
0: Would it be fair to say that mindfulness is a piece of this, the ability to be in the moment while you're executing and to be at your best, some people call that flow or being in the zone, that's a part of it. But also you have an approach to leadership and team building, both on the field and off, that from what I've read about you, seems to emphasize the sort of softer side, the compassion, I believe you or those around you have used the term love. And so talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, let me put it this way for you. I've found over the years, and and, I've been coaching for a real long time now, that the best way for me to communicate with the people that I'm dealing with is to care for them and to learn who they are and what they're all about and to cherish the unique qualities that an individual brings. It really calls for me to be mindfully focused and centered on that individual. And in doing so, it allows me the avenues to communicate to the deepest depths that are available between in, in a relationship. So we're a relationship-based organization. If that sounds soft to you, then you don't understand what I'm talking about. If uh, caring for people sounds soft, then, then you don't understand what we're talking about. Because what we're trying to do is generate just the absolute maximum that people have to offer the world and to show them that they house extraordinary power and extraordinary uh, command of what they do and how they can act. And uh, in doing so, to get there it's skill development and i'd like doc to talk about that for you so you can understand how we approach it but it's hard work it's difficult it's challenging it takes grit it takes the guile it takes the perseverance and the passion to reach into to uncover you know what is there lying maybe quietly in your soul and 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 so uh it's about hardcore motivation and driving and and, you know it's all of that it's competing striving to find the very best we have to offer so I don't think if you watched us practice and you watched us perform, you would think there's anything but the our guys, given everything they possibly can muster to the effort of winning and being the best we can be. And, and uh, so I'm real proud to talk to you about it, And I'm, I really cherish now the, the misinterpretation of that because I like talking about it. And I like to share that with people. If you really care for people, if you really care for them, let's say, if you really do love them, you'll do anything you can possibly do to help them be the best they can be. I look at it like, I'm parenting. I look at it like like I'm coaching my own kids and I'm, my coaches are a part of my family. And the brotherhood that exists in our organization is so that we can reach those depths and those vulnerabilities so that we can find the best that we have to offer. And, and uh, so we're all about caring and loving and all that kind of stuff. That's right.
0: <laughs> I mean, look, I'm in this sense, very much on your team. If that sounds soft to you,
1: (laughs) I didn't mean I didn't mean make you feel that otherwise (laughs) you just said soft.
0: (laughs) No, I know. I was kind of channeling a critic. But look, I mean, yes, people think it's soft. But look at the science. Also, look at your Super Bowl Mm ring. So there's plenty of evidence to suggest that this approach, which I believe you when you say it's harder to do it probably is easier to just treat people in, as if they're disposable and to rule or run a, an organization through fear as opposed to through love.
1: Yeah, I think you're on it. And uh, Doc has, has been so good f- to help me understand why I was doing what I was doing and what made sense and where the science backed it up and really just brought a, a commitment and conviction to me in the things I was doing because he made sense of it for me. And, and uh, so we've been a good team in all of
0: that. The aforementioned Doc is here. Maybe it's worth talking about how this relationship got started. and, And it sounds to me like you took some of Coach's instincts, which are quite remarkable, and added a lot of evidence on top of them and then tied it up and operationalized all of it.
2: Well, I would start with saying that Coach has been coaching for a long time. And so his insights and practices were well grooved evidenced by what he had done in previously in college and previously before that in the pros. And so there was already an ecosystem, there was already principles in place, and there was already a system in place. And the combination of his approach and then my approach, right? it was like, how do you create the container and the culture and the right relationships for people to experience the extraordinary together? And the extraordinary can be concrete, like winning the whole thing, But it's a bit more um, purposeful for us, which is the extraordinary is exploring the untapped, exploring potential together and having that shared cause and shared mission together. And so I would say, you know, to answer your question concretely is that we met through a mutual friend that was a bit surprised we didn't know each other. We had a great dinner, great conversation, and we saw things in similar ways. And we're both interested, coach has an advanced degree in understanding of psychology. And uh, we're both interested in like, okay, what is the frontier of human performance? What is it about? Like how, what are the ideas, principles, and practices to help people flourish? And this game of football is a beautiful place to figure that out. And so that's how it started. And that was about a decade ago.
0: Can you describe a little bit what you do with and for the team?
2: So by... Trade and training. I'm a sports psychologist. And what I'm helping, or at least hope I'm helping do, is to create systems to really support the relationships that people have with themselves, that they have with their future, that they have with each other, that they have with Mother Nature in some respects. But it really is an approach to support Coach Carroll, to support the coaches, and to understand the systems and the practices to train one's mind to become your very best. And then to hopefully support um, the self-discovery process that is right at the center of Coach Carroll's approach. And so really is more of systems thinking than individual, what you might imagine as a trained professional. Like it's not an individual as much as it is a systems approach.
0: So coach, you bring in this guy who looks like Tom Cruise and you have him (laughs) talk to your players about mother nature and love and meditation. (laughs) How does that go? I say this with love to you, Mike. I'm just, I'm just. Come on, Dan, <laughs> busting your chops, but I got to do it.
1: Well, it's a relationship that we're in, and there's like no topic that we don't address. There's no concern that we don't uh, take seriously. We're competing, you know. That's the whole philosophy of a program. And my, my personal philosophy is always compete, and that means I'm always looking to find a way to get coached up. And so uh, Mike's ability to make sense of things, to help me see things more clearly, to give me um, conviction to what I what I believe is, is proper and right and how we should do things, his ability to help share the information that we're in, this, this whole world of performance to our coaches so that they can teach better, so that they can have, and, and they can operate better for themselves personally i mean it just kind of just intertwines and interwines itself in all things that we're doing and uh it's just kind of how we've operated it's been a tremendous relationship that we've what we found too is that mike has been able to help us take our teachings and our principles to the outside world and and uh you know we have a company compete to create that is really designed to help people understand how to apply the philosophies and and, and the things that we believe in in their own world their personal world, their family world, and, and their business world as well, their careers. And uh, we found a really exciting following. And, and the more we were able to extend our stuff to the outside world, the more followers we're finding. And, and, and we're really excited about that. That's what the Audible Original is all about. It gives us a chance to give other people insights into what we, how we live and how we operate and the way we think. And uh, in hopes that it will help them, you know, live a better life and it'll help them be stronger and more committed to the person that they are and the family that they are and the organization that they are. And so uh, it's been a a really fruitful relationship and we're excited about what's coming.
0: I do want to talk at length, at great length, about Compete to Create, not only the organization, but also this Audible original that you're out with right now. But I do just want to make sure I pursue this line of inquiry, coach, I suspect you do occasionally get players who are like, this is not what I signed up for. I want to win. And I want to make a ton of I want the accolades, I want the money, you know, whatever it is, I'm, I'm motivated by what historically has motivated athletes. What do you do if and when you encounter skepticism? (laughs)
1: Well, Dan, you started off by saying that you weren't much of a fan, but um, you certainly are because you're interested in this this stuff that's so important. It's about reaching people, understanding how to communicate at a really high level, and to find the trust that it takes to go deep with the concerns and the issues to help people develop their best talents and, and, and all of that. This is an ongoing process that... I've had to find ways to communicate with all players. If I could only communicate with certain guys, that that wouldn't be worth a hoot, you know. And so what I may help you with here, all our guys, all of the guys that come to us want to be – they want to be really something special. They want to be really good at what they're doing. Some of them have a much better way of getting there than others. Some of them don't know how, how to get out of their own way they'll have different opinions, they'll have different outlooks, they'll have different experiences that we have to find a way to make sense to them and so that they can come along with us and take advantage of the teachings and the, the culture that we and the environment that we create. And uh, so I don't have people butt heads with me on, on what we're doing. And I, I say that because I, I think we're eclectic enough in our approach and our language and in, in, in our understanding of their issues that we can make sense to everybody. And when we can't, then they, they move along, you know, they don't excel. They don't do well enough. They don't get to stay with us. But for the most part, you know, I, I'm pretty competitive about that. I don't want to leave anybody out. So I'm trying to find a way to communicate with everybody that we have a chance to, you know, to, to touch base with.
2: Hey, Dan, to pull on that thread just a little bit is that one of the core elements is to know your personal philosophy. And that's asked of coaches and athletes. And that starts with, you know, what are the guiding principles, the unwavering principles that you stand for? and those principles to help line up your thoughts, words, and actions. Okay, so just think about that for a moment. And Coach Carroll is very clear about his guiding principles, and it's evidenced through the culture. So when an athlete comes into the Seattle Seahawks, they kind of know because it's consistent. It's been evident what he stands for, the organization stands for, and you just have a sense it's different here. And so that being said, I want to double-click one more level, which is there's only three things that you can train as a human. You can train your craft, you can train your body, and you can train your mind. And so when you operationalize it, normalize it in that type of frame, it's like, well, okay, <laughs> how do I do all three of those at max to my best ability? And this isn't something that's left for later. This is something that Coach Carol and the coaches have integrated in the daily rhythm of practice. It's a value of the mind. It's a value of cultivating an optimized mind, a mind that's nimble that is strong, that can adjust, that is flexible, that is also principle-based. And so it is the way that you present it. And if you present it the old way that was happening kind of in 1980, maybe 1970 or even the 90s, like, hey, there's this kind of weird psychology thing happening in the back room with a poorly lit, you know, couch, like go over there. And if you got problems, like sort it out. (laughs) That doesn't work. You know, that's not part of the ecosystem of rapid, accelerated, potential-seeking, environments and so uh, framing is really important i would say
1: i would tell you dan if, it, if that's what it took though we'd go there <laughs> you know i mean that's that's, that's our approach we got to figure out a way if it, if that's what it took to to, to to make sense to somebody i'll go wherever i got to go and that's we'll take it as far as we can as long as the principles are intact and the approach and the philosophy and the buy-in from the players that they're going to give us everything they got because they know we're going to give them everything we got there's always a way a unique, extraordinary person who may not look like they could ever fit in has a way to fit into our, our system. That's one of the things that I, I'm most thrilled by is to uncover the unique, special idiosyncrasies of an individual that make them who they are, find a way to celebrate that and incorporate that into our play. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But that openness, I think, is, is what is so important and that willingness to accept the understanding and, and the patience that it takes to not judge somebody too quickly and miss out on, on this magnificent, unique aspect that they bring. That's what drives us. And, and, uh, so there's room for everybody in our place, you know, and, and, we, you know, bring them all, you know, bring me your tired, bring me your hungry, you know, bring, bring me your, your weary masses, you know, or whatever it is, you know, and we'll figure out a way to incorporate you if you got a chip on your shoulder and you want to be great. And so, uh, there's a way to do it.
2: This is extraordinary, actually. This is sits squarely in humanistic psychology as an approach, as one of the disciplines in psychology. It's actually Carl Rogers. It's called Rogerian Therapy that is grounded in this thought that humans have everything they need inside them. And if you can hold an unconditional positive regard for that person at all times, as best as you possibly can, because that's a skill to do that, then you're going to create a relationship where that person is able to figure out like, oh, I matter. (laughs) I matter more than what I just do. I matter because I matter to this other human in my life. And it's an incredible way to help know that they are far more than what they just do. And that being said, is that there's a subtlety that I want to add that Coach Carroll just eloquently said, is that it's a celebration. Mm. It's not a letting. And if you listen to the media, sometimes you'll hear, oh, Coach Carroll, you let people be themselves. It's so wrong. It's a celebration. It's a relentless and uncommon commitment to understand what's unique and special about another person. And this is why Seattle Seahawks are a relationship-based organization. It's a relentless commitment to that, and then celebrate it. (laughs) in the most uh, (laughs) wonderful way, celebrate that, and then put people in the positions so they can be their very best. And that's very different than many other approaches that, hey, you're a number, fit in, or forget it. And so it it is a fundamental approach towards celebrating the uniqueness of a person.
1: The thing that we really believe in is if if you took the approach in the corporate world that, say you've got 100,000 people that work in your company, the magnitude of the power that lies latent in those people because they have not been recognized for who they really are, and they're punching the ticket and, and they're coming in and, and you know hitting, hitting the clock and getting out of there, sitting in their cubby hole or whatever they do, as opposed to taking the approach to the, that everybody in that organization has this extraordinary, unique power and quality to who they are and what they're all about, and if you could unleash that within your organization and just capitalize on the human capital that is already part of your organization, the outcome the outgrowth, the result of that, that processing would be so extraordinary that your company will be places that you never dreamed it would be. That's just the, the way that we look at the world and, and and it is by really caring and loving for the people that that you're sharing this experience with to help them be the fullest they can possibly be. And that's not BS, that's the truth. And that's real. And when you when you act like that and you treat people like that, they give you everything they got. They don't hold anything back. Once they trust and they understand that you care that much for them, what more could you ask for in the world? The unconditional caring, in this this love for them that you're going to help him experience this world while the time you're together, as it, it, extraordinarily as you can, that's kind of behind all of this. And, and, and yeah, does that sound different? Does that sound airy fairy to somebody? I don't give a hoot. I don't care. You know, I mean that's that's the way it is. this is what we're doing, and and uh, I see it as a really competitive, aggressive way to attack the world that's around you, you know, and and we're we're having a lot of fun doing
0: it. Yeah, I really appreciate the combination of the quote-unquote airy-fairy with the very hard-nosed desire to win, which is kind of summed up in, in a refrain that you've come back to, which is if they'll give you, and you're talking about the players and the staff here, everything they've got when they know you will give them everything you've got, and that's a very interesting, I think, attractive approach to a lot of people.
1: Yeah, well, we found a, a commonality to it that allows us to really be consistent and really be authentic and really be true. And, and you know, you, when you really care that much, it's, it's powerful and, it, and it's meaningful. And, and it, it does really allow you to create a culture and an environment that can really be fun and really hopefully take you as far as you can go.
2: Hey, Dan, here's where skill comes in mental skill, psychological skill, is that let's say over a cup of tea, a glass of wine, we're sitting around, we're saying, yeah, you know, let's create this amazing environment that we're just talking about. And then as soon as some things start going wrong, where there's some real stress and pressure, maybe your job's on the line, maybe there's something else that is not quite working according to plan. There's some inspection and the heat is on, right? You know what happens for most people? is they don't have the psychological skill, so they rely on their brain. (laughs) And what the brain does is says, hey, survive. And that survival mechanism is a tightening up. And part of that tightening up is, let's call it anxiousness or anxiety or frustration. And so if there's somebody in front of you and you've got a tense, tight, anxious, frustrated, intolerant, scratchy state, you can't really be there for them because you're kind of a mess. And so this is where mindfulness plays dividends is, so if mindfulness has two main pillars, right, which is awareness and this ability to focus and be in the present moment and insight and wisdom, that when you're able to be in the present moment with somebody, because you have your life vest on, so to speak, and you're not in this internal scratchy place, you can get to the truth with the other person because you're spending time in the present with them. And then that leads to insights about what is and what could be. And then that leads to a sense of wisdom where when you get to that place, as you recognize with your research, it's different. And so that's where one place that mindfulness can pay dividends is that it allows us to spend more time in the present moment.
0: So if we need our life vest on in order to be available and useful to other people and and then to run an organization that is thriving and winning, coach, I'm just curious, what are the psychological skills that you personally spend time working on? Are you... Do you have an active meditation practice? What are the things that you do to keep yourself up to this task you set for yourself?
1: Yeah, um, I have practiced my ways of meditation over the years. I'm not actively, I've never been totally committed like the guys that really do a great job with it. I practice my, um, it's about mindfulness to me. It's about being in the moment. It's about seeing the extraordinary value of all of the things around you and in that that is my way of practicing the, the way I would be mindful, and then in essence, the closest thing I would get to meditation. I've tried to uh, have an appreciation. This is a silly phrase that I have about, you know, maximizing the spaces between the spaces, and and being there, you know, when you have the opportunity to, uh, by whatever triggers it you know, I'm I'm one sense kind of like a little kid at times, you know, that I can get immersed in stuff, you know, from moment to moment. I look like I'm all over the lot sometimes, but man, I'm, I'm digging in. And so I find that it's, I want to practice the discipline that it takes to be there in the moment. And so, uh, that to me is, is a daily challenge and it's, emotional challenge too with the people around you to be there for them at all times. And that to me is, is competing to give, bring my best to every moment is what it amounts to. So I have a different way of looking at it. I think than maybe a classic meditator might, but I, I do that through my sports. I do that through the games I like playing. I do that through my relationships and, and, uh, just try to be as actively involved with the moments every chance I get.
2: Dan, I think if the pillow for many people is the place that they do their meditation, For coach, it is conversations. Mm -hmm. And so it's observing. And so you know that's where he practices and he's in conversations a lot. And the thing behind the conversation is to be a great listener. And so that is one of the places I see him practice. And then watching, whether it's um, on the field or film or whatever, it's a full commitment to coming back to now, coming back to now, relentlessly coming back to now. And so much so that, I don't think I've ever shared this with you, Pete, but folks would say, on a regular basis, that just meet you, that they'll say to me something like, Wow, like he really listens. And so it's evident based on the way that he holds his attention and gaze and intensity in a conversation, it's different. Whatever.
1: Yeah, whatever. whatever. But what I, what I was, Mike, about that, it's practice. Yeah, it- I think that's what medita- I would think. I don't know. This is my interpretation from years ago. That that's what meditation is for. Meditation is so you can be a really good meditator. Yes. You know, to me, it's so that you can learn to be focused in the moments that that you experience on a regular basis. So, I totally love the whole thought of of practicing mindfulness, and I think I understand the purpose of that. But the purpose personally is to find my way to the moments as they present themselves on, on a regular basis.
0: Some people understand. And I don't know your mind, but based on what you're saying, I it seems directionally that what I'm about to say is probably accurate, that some people actually kind of have a molecular understanding of being awake and others, and I'm pointing to myself here, need a ton of meditation practice in order not to be stuck in their ego. So you may be one of these people who can just do it through being alive and paying attention to other people and Others of us need a lot of time on the cushion to wake up out of the, you know, autopilot.
1: <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. I don't know. It's just living life. I don't know. But this is just the way that but I'm I'm very grateful for understanding and having an appreciation for the practices. You know, I'm, I'm really yeah, and and I respect it the heck out of it. And and uh, so wherever it fits in your life, wherever it helps, you know, we, we're all we're all different, and we need different things to, to keep us going. And it's marvelous to be in the practice of being in the moment. And uh, we can't do it enough. You know?
2: Dan, here's a fun way to think about the applied nature. Another way to think about the applied nature of mindfulness is that there's two variables that collide with each other or coincide, if you want to say it that way. And it's optimism and mindfulness. So part of mindfulness is about, you know, working with judgment and critique, right? And so, Maybe coach, you can walk us through like why we're so hard to beat in the fourth quarter. And there's an incredible statistic that will support this. But one of the gems here is that he is helping and the organization is helping people not judge, to not give in to the evidence external to the plan that you set out. So in some respects, ignore the score, get to the signal. And the signal is the present moment stay one more rep, one more rep, one more breath, one more thought, whatever it might be, uh, game day. And you match that with optimism, this fundamental belief, and it's a skill, this is a skill, that the future is going to work out. Optimism versus pessimism. We're not, as far as we can tell, we're not born that way. And so we're training optimism and we're training mindfulness to reserve the critique and the judgment based on external information and to stay true that, hey, this could work out now. It's right around the corner. And so those two, I think, are two of the variables of why the team is very difficult to beat in the fourth quarter.
1: Yeah, I would say that the most important pursuit we have is, is discipline. It's the discipline. It's the discipline in all different areas that we have command of and we control. We really want to focus on the things that we can control. And if we have the discipline to do that, then we'll be there more consistently than maybe the other guys. And if we're not, we're going to work our tail off to outlast them. (laughs) That's basically how it works. And so to develop discipline, you have to consistently rep it out. So I have to find all of the ways that I can to get our guys to focus on the very instant that's, that's right at hand, right at the very next step we're going to take. And the better that we do that we, and we develop our skill to do that, the more accountable we will be in the moment when it comes time. And so uh, Mike was talking about finishing. Finishing is a huge thing to us. It's a huge concept and, and we have ways that we talk about it and we and we practice it. And I try to consistently and constantly show our guys, Hey, you're in a moment of finishing right now. What are you going to do? Okay. What are we going to do? We're going to do the very right thing right now and and take the next step properly. And then know that if I do it the next time and the next time, and the next time that other guy isn't going to be able to hang with us. And so that all is about discipline and, and it's all about capturing the opportunities and seizing the moments to practice it. And so, uh, It goes in every direction and everything that we're doing. But I do find that that's why I I take so much responsibility personally to to make sure I see the opportunities to present them, and to awaken them to this moment. Hold on. Here's another chance we can get better at it. And so after a while, this is like Mike talks about training confidence. We train confidence through our continued successes. And the more that we are enlightened with that and understand that and, and own that the better we perform when the time comes, you know? And, and so, but it's, there's thousands of things that we got to do. And so that's why this, that we got to do well, if we're going to be good. And um, that's kind of what our challenge is. That's what, what our calling is all about.
0: Much more of my conversation with Pete and Mike right after this. This show is brought to you by better help. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about, third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans plan features may vary credits stop if you cancel or change plans mike two-part question Are confidence and optimism the same thing kind of in your mind, or are they related? And the second part is, how do you train optimism without lapsing into the power of positive thinking and all that malarkey?
2: I love that thought. Yeah, first, confidence and optimism are related but separate. They're different psychological constructs. And I love the thought about the malarkey, you know, like, hey, let's hold our hands
0: and let's go skipping, (laughs) you
1: know? (laughs) No, it's more
0: just like, you know, there's this garbage book, The Secret, that says you can solve all of your problems through the power of positive thinking, demonstrably untrue. Okay, That's not (laughs) going to happen. So like, how do you train people in optimism without getting them into this place where they think they're going to win just because they've got a vision board in their room that says they're going to win?
1: Wait, Mike, let me enter into this one. Well, obviously, you haven't benefited from uh, manifesting your intentions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have not.
2: (laughs) Actually, you have.
0: I think intentions are really powerful, but Mm -hmm. I don't believe that just because I think it enough, it is going to happen because I can manipulate subatomic particles through my mind. That, I think, is not true. I know it's not true.
1: But, Dan, don't you think that there's a chance that in that science of the secret and all of that, that there are levels of it where – it really is about intention. It really is about sure. intending to create what you can imagine. It isn't about the vision board. That's how it gets manufactured and marketed and all the rest, and it loses all the meaning and all. You, I, I couldn't agree with you more. But there is extraordinary power in in, in following your vision and following your intention and yes. in following yes. that without it, you know, I don't know how any of the great creations ever occur. But. So there was a guy years ago, I'm going to take you way back to a guy named Maxwell Maltz wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. My high school coach put it under his arm, and He thought it was it, it was everything. Well, that was way back when, you know, I was 15 years old or something like that. But I still obviously remember it. And I, I think that that is a bunch of malarkey if that's all it is. But the power of intention, the power of manifesting through your commitment to what you want to have, what you want to create is I don't know if there's anything more powerful than that. And so we have to harness that. We have to learn what that's all about. We have to understand what it takes and the commitment and the discipline and the consistency and the dogged perseverance to stick with what you're trying to create that really makes it happen. And I don't know if that's, that's, we haven't talked about this kind of stuff, but I just, I'm glad you brought it up.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I just want to be clear. I mean, I think there's, there seems to be a, quite a bit of evidence around intention, motivation. There, there's a lot of juice there. The insidiousness of stuff like The Secret is that it takes something that has legitimacy and then adds magic into it. And says you can cure your breast cancer through just thinking about it. You don't need to go to the doctor or whatever. That's a problem.
1: That's one level of interpreting it. But haven't you known people, and and I can give cite examples of people who contacted cancer and the doctors told them that three months now you know you've got three months to live and they died to the day and there's other people that say hey no way that's happening and they live their life for years on and, and it goes in remission and they never see you know we know that there's a power in that if you give into that you can become it's the same thing. You create the same vision. Your visions will work for you negatively as well. Uh, I'll give you another site. If we talk about the power of vision right now, I don't know how we get on this, mic, but we're doing it. Uh, when I was in Los Angeles, I met a bunch of kids in, in the streets. I was introduced to a bunch of kids that, that were living in and around the streets, and they constantly would remind me that, uh, you know, I'm either going to die or I'm going to go to jail. So, you know, what the F? What, what difference does it make? And I used to hear that, and I felt so sorry for them. I felt so sad, and I thought, holy cow. That's the vision that they hold for themselves. And they're absolutely going to manufacture, manifest, that's going to happen. They're either going to jail or they're going to die because they know that's what the truth is. Well, vision can work in other aspects of our life. It can work negatively and positively as well. It isn't just all airy-fairy. Everything's going to work out for you. And that's why it's so important to have the mindfulness to be in command of the things that you vision but this would be a great segue to self-talk and the power of self-talk and how we lead ourselves with our thoughts is so powerful. And, I mean, look at Russell Wilson. Now, you don't know who Russell Wilson is, maybe David I before. do, quarterback. Okay, so there's nobody that's ever lived by a more powerful guidance of personal belief in his ability to create. And he he's a living example of it against many odds in some circumstances. And then he's such a gifted person. Individual because of you know his power of his belief and at those and we've seen there's so many great illustrations of that so anyway so let me double click on this a little bit it, not all of this is in the audible original by the way <laughs> <laughs>
2: so we, we've done in the audible original and in the online course we I think we hit the sweet spot between science and story meets like tangible things that you can do and you were talking about optimism and confidence so like confidence is this. Appraisal—it's a fancy word, but it's this inventory-taking experience where you're measuring up what you think the demand is asked of you, that's outside of you, right? You're imagining or you're measuring it in some way, and then you're matching that up against what you believe your internal skills and capabilities are. So if those work together, then you get to say something like, yeah, let's go, and I think I have it. I think I can do this now. Right? where arrogance is something like, oh, okay, I can do whatever, but you haven't really done the appraisal. You're just trying to get favor from other people. Like that's an external validation mechanism. So confidence is a sophisticated approach of knowing your inner inventory matched up against what the perceived demands. And that's a trainable skill. And it only comes from one place, which is what you say to yourself, but that self-talk has to be credible. How do you build credible self talk? You say, Well, there's at least two ways, but the keyhole for that is that you have to do difficult things. You have to test yourself. You have to get to the thin herd, to the places that you weren't quite sure that you knew how to operate, and realize when you come back from those experiences, say, I did that. It, maybe it wasn't pretty, you know, maybe it was a mistake, you know, maybe I mista- made mistakes in it, but like I can do hard things. And when you earn that right to say, I can do difficult things, there's incredible freedom on the other side of it. And then optimism, though, from a scientific lens is a fundamental belief that the future will work out. Pessimism is the opposite of that. And so that is a trainable skill as well. Martin Seligman had some great insights and some science around that, practicing three good things, as I know you're familiar with.
0: Say more about that, actually, just for the listener. How would we practice three good things?
2: Well, the research was really pretty amazing that after seven days, people that set an intention to become a researcher of good, and I'm using some of my language in there on this, but the mechanisms are are consistent. So in the morning, if you set your mind, intention as we're talking about, to become the researcher of amazing, is the way I like to think about it, that you go out throughout the day and you find, you experience three things that are amazing. You could put in beautiful, you could put in good, you could be interesting, you know, positive. You could put whatever word you want in there. And then at the end of the day, you write those three things down that over seven days of training this, there is a noticeable mark in an increase. Uh, people that came into that study after X number of days that were depressed, they stabilized their depression. Mm. People that were not depressed had an upward lift in uh, their experience of life. So that's a simple practice. And we believe that optimism might just be at the center of mental toughness. Because when you are in a difficult moment that is calling upon the discipline to stay in that moment, but it's hard, it's difficult. Your brain is saying, hey, get out. This isn't right. (laughs) This isn't safe. That optimism, but you have to front load optimism. You have to front load. You have to get ahead of it because it won't be there for you. The signals of the brain are too strong to try to override them if you haven't conditioned your mind to say, wait, stay in it, stay in it, something good's going to break, it's going to break open, stay in it now, that that front-loading of a mental skill is essentially what mental skills training is.
1: The the power of belief, you know, it's that the believing, you know, that allows for the optimism is so, so beneficial to own that, you know, and and it's okay to use it, you know, we know if when you're, if you could be in a situation where you're uncertain, well, I'm not going to be uncertain, I'm going to go with what I know is powerful, I'm going to I know I'm going to get this done. There's, I'm going to figure this one out. I've figured a lot of them And that belief that allows for the optimism to sustain is what h- keeps you in it longer. And if you have the gut to persevere and to keep taking on the tough challenges, because you know you have that knowing, then you can become a very resilient person and, 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 and a, a person that will overcome obstacles that others you know, would, would revel at. And, and so – this is trainable to a certain extent. You know, I don't know if totally, but there's going to be some people that will never be able to get there, but we think it's definitely something that you can nurture.
0: Yes. And just to be clear, I agree with all of that, that you can train optimism, that intention is, and vision can be incredibly powerful. And, I believe in the fundamental laws of science as I understand them. I am about to turn 49. I'm 5'7 and a half, maybe 5'8 when I use my wife's volumizing shampoo. I'm not going to be your next quarterback. And I understand that. And no amount of vision is going to change that. And so that's what I'm talking about. Like, and that's <laughs> where I think the power of positive thinking gets a little dicey. So I think we're all saying the same thing, I think.
2: I'm nodding my head, and I think what, what Coach would say would um, well if you applied yourself and that was your main purpose, you never know. You know, he's but, rolling
0: his but, eyes. I think he can tell Eddie LeBaron, five seven, Spud
1: Webb five six, George Myra.
0: But also, I'm 49, so I mean, the, that's the other. Yeah. There's a problem here. Yeah, there's,
1: there's a real <laughs> yeah. challenge. You know, yeah, there's and, a real world out there. <laughs> we can't deal with it.
2: There's some physics involved in yes. some of this. Yeah, for sure. And so, I, I, but I love the hardening aspect of what we're talking about. It's like. This is old school value stuff saying, do the right discipline stuff. And this isn't like, hey, we're down by 50 points. Um, It's going to be okay. Hey, we've lost eight in a row. This is going to be great, guys. We're going to learn. It's not that. That's not what we're talking about. This is like a hard nosed grindy, like, hey, find the good. Yeah, that's
1: why it's truth. It's why the truth, Mike, yeah. it's about the truth. You know, get you, to it. You, have yeah. to, you have to be able to connect with the truth and the truth isn't that the, a five, seven guy is going to be a center in the, in the NBA, you know, I mean, that's, that's not truth. And so you have to be realistic and, and always, you know, start with the truth. And, and sometimes that we get distorted on that and we, you know, we have to work at it, but um, not that everybody holds truth always in command, but that's where you can benefit the most.
2: And you know, what's cool is that if there are limits to human potential, We don't know what they are yet. We're not there. And so let's leave a lot of space. Science doesn't have the answers. It's got a lot of answers. We've understood some stuff, but there's no scientific formula about what your potential is and there's no roadmap on how to get there. So we've got to leave space open for science to inform us, for innovation to happen in the frontier, in the most informed way, and for thoughts, words, and actions to line up consistently against the principles and the purpose in your life. Now that's a mouthful, okay? But that is, I would say, a foundational approach. Thoughts, words, and actions lining up based on principles that map up against your purpose.
0: Let's talk about a few of the other uh, skills that you guys talk about in the Audible original and in your online course. Another concept that just jumped out at me in in looking at the materials was FOPO or F-O-P-O, fear of other people's opinions. Is that your concept, Mike? <laughs> yeah,
2: let's let me let me take a run at that. Yeah, I think that it's one of the most constricting fears for modern day humans. As long ago, hundreds of years ago, it was maybe the saber-tooth tiger. We don't have them anymore. There are real dangers in our world, but for most people, the number one constrictor of their potential is what other people think of them, and that's. As simple, I, I can't imagine somebody not really understanding that unless they truly have a narcissistic personality disorder, unless they truly have a mental disorder that is not allowing them to understand what an other experience is. And so this maps actually well, that theory that we just talked about, FOPO, maps well to the default mode network. It maps well to the theory of mind. And I'm using very concrete terms here. And so that, as you recognize the default mode network is that part of the brain that's self-referencing. Am I okay? Am I okay? Does he think I'm, does she think I'm okay? Am I okay? And it's what's happening most of the time. And so if left unchecked, you're going to self-reference a lot. Am I okay? And then you're going to look outside and say, well, what does he or she think about my experience right now? And we think it might be one of the seeds of suffering, the self-referencing internal, critical analysis, evaluation, am I okay enough right now? And if you're on stage or you're thinking about what could happen if it goes wrong, that's FOPO. That's an expert approach to life as opposed to a beginner's approach to life. And so the beauty is once you decouple who you are from what you do, there's incredible freedom on the other side. And so that's the essence of the work. Recognize FOPO if it's an issue for you, Cool. How do you deal with it?
1: Separate. Decouple who you are from what you do. Facebook. Yes. Everybody's on stage. Yes. Everybody's on yes. stage. Highlight reels, too. You know I mean? It's not just the guy that's, that's performing in Broadway. Everybody, every day you walk out of the, your front door, you're on stage. You know, it, if you see it that way, and, and the sooner that you can gain control of that you're okay and you've got your world in order, the more consistently you can perform being you. And that's, that's a great challenge. It's a great challenge not the you that you think other people want you to be but the you that you truly are and that's why the authenticity thing is is so crucial and and we cherish the pursuit because it's so important and and, uh, hopefully people can can benefit from from that understanding
0: coach another skill that i see jumping out from the materials that i was able to review is the power of having a purpose how would you describe yours
1: well my purpose is pretty clear and then I'm trying to help people be the best they can be. I'm really committed to that. That is my purpose. And in it, in it, whether it's my family, my kids, my grandkids, with the relationship with my wife, the coaches that I coach with, the guys that I that administer, I mean, the players that we coach, the people that serve the players, you know, in all different aspects, that's the focus. And, and uh, if I can contribute to that, then – I'm doing the right stuff for me. And uh, that's just how it's turned out. I didn't intend my life to be that way, but I found my way to that. And I, I found my way most consistently, you know, directing my work in that manner. And, and when I realized that, it really made a difference to me. It made it more clear what my intention was on a regular moment-to-moment basis. And so purpose for me is trying to help somebody find the best. And if I can do that, then those are good moments.
0: Mike, can you fill in the science on this around the power of having a purpose and and maybe give us a sense also of how can we figure this out for ourselves?
2: Yeah, uh, for sure. So there's three components according to research, three components to developing or that are components to purpose. And the first is nobody can give you a purpose. It has to matter to you. So somebody could say, I think your purpose is, but if it doesn't really matter to you, if it doesn't have personal meaning, it's not going to pay dividends. It's not going to play out. So for element one, is it, it personally matters to you. It has meaning. The second is that it's got something to do that's bigger than you. So what does that normally mean? It's not just about your benefit, but it's about the benefit of others. And that other could be mother nature or other people. So one, meaning two, it's bigger than you. And three, it's down the road. So it's not something that is solvable now and it becomes a life arc as opposed to an end position in life. So purpose is really about a path, and the goal is to be on the path. And it needs, uh, according to research, have those three components as best we can tell.
0: How can we figure this out for ourselves? I think a lot of us, I mean, just speaking personally, I I didn't think about what my purpose was for many, many years. I I don't think it occurs to many people to craft this and then and then what do you do once you've identified it? How do you keep it top of mind so you're always heading toward that? You've got it in your head and guiding your actions in an important way. Yeah,
2: that's a good question. So the, I want to talk about three ways to explore purpose. And then I want to give a, a, maybe a framework to do it. So there's three ways to explore it that I know, right? And it's mindfulness a la meditation, if you will. And so that's the exploring within. The second is journaling. You know, writing some stuff down, externalizing it. And if you don't like those two, which I find both of those to be valuable, the third is conversations with wise men and women Hmm. and exploring that way. And then if that, oftentimes life purpose seems so big and overwhelming that this is the mechanism that might help is you can thin slice it. You can say my purpose during COVID, during this coronavirus pandemic is, will be, you know? And so you could thin slice it. And so that thin slicing allows us to maybe digest it just a bit more easily. And I think that we do need to memorialize it in some way that it is concrete. We can get our arms around it. It's sayable in a sentence or two. And then we need some sort of mechanisms to stay aligned with it. And so whether that's, a, I'll go back to a vision board just as a joke, but there's something outside of you or people around you that are helping you be accountable to the thing that you say matters most to you. And that's the discipline and practice of psychology at play. And so maybe that helps some of the defining practice of it.
1: So much of our focus and our emphasis in, in the things that we believe in is so obviously reliant on self-discovery. And the willingness to go inside and and to uncover the uniqueness of you the identity of you, you know, is so important because how can you find your purpose if you, you know, how if you have a purpose that you have to keep reminding yourself about? Eh, it might not be your purpose. It might be kind of your wish, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid to say, you know, yeah. it, right. your purpose should be coming flowing out of you because that's who you are. That's what you're all about. But, but that doesn't mean that you're not seeking. And, and the seeking is really is where the joy is. It's in the seeking, you know, and uh, the process of of it all and the growth and all of that. But Anyway,
2: so, so. And to hearten that too, because that's a super important note is that when you know your purpose, you know what's powerful? Nobody can take it away from you. And when purpose, you're going to find some pain in life. And I want to tell you a fun story. Karch Karai, one of the great volleyball players, athletes, slash coaches in the world.
1: Competitor. Yeah.
2: Oh, true competitor. He has won gold medals in beach volleyball the Olympics, and he's won them on, in indoor. He's coached both and won gold medals there. He won multiple championships as a professional, both in beach and volleyball. And he won the NCAAs in college. Like, this is one of the greats ever. And so I had the fortune of working with him going into the last quad, the Olympic quad, into Rio. And it was almost like day two or three in this four-year journey that we're on. And I said, okay, what are you seeing, coach? And he says, well, I know this for sure nobody gets on the podium at the Olympics without staring down a double barrel loaded shotgun. And I said, Oh, okay. What is that? You know, like, what what are we talking about? And he goes, so let's create that type of cauldron every day and let our purpose be to help them deal with difficult environments, difficult situations so that they can play and get free. I said, okay. So it's so clear. It's so clear to him that nobody had to remind him that, hey, this is your thing. And so like, if it's not real, it's going to fade away. And that's why you got to get to the real truth about like, what is your purpose?
0: Is there evidence in the literature suggesting that identifying and operationalizing a purpose can be beneficial when it comes to performance?
2: The literature is a little wanting there. We can say that people have clarity of purpose, that there's a 75-year Harvard study, that there's a thin line here. They wanted to understand fulfillment. So they took a look at a 75-year longitudinal study, those that were most fulfilled and those that were not. And one of the key differences between those that were fulfilled is that they grokked with the difficult, challenging questions of life. Okay, so guess what a difficult, challenging question of life is? What is my purpose? What am I doing here? So those that were more fulfilled had done that work. It doesn't mean that they absolutely knew it, but they wrestled with it. And so then if we extrapolate from that and say, well, what are the benefits of being fulfilled? Well, there's some good science there. There's some other science that's coming online that's saying that those that have purpose, they actually make more money. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's an interesting piece of data (laughs) as well. So there is some science, but it's, um, I'd say it's beginning to unfold itself just a bit better.
0: Coach, we're, I know you're waiting to find out when or if, hopefully when, not if, you're going to be able to launch into practice mode here with your team and and then into actual games. When the team gets back together, you're operating and have operated in for a long time in a multiracial environment. I'm not telling you something you don't know. There's an enormous amount of pain in the black community right now. How... Do you plan to address that with your folks when you get everybody back together? How do you work with this difficult emotional landscape?
1: Well, I think there's an enormous amount of pain in the community of man, not just in the black community, because there is an enormous price that has been paid by the African-American culture. And it's obviously spilling over finally in, at some point here to an openness where there's a lot of people that are sharing the willingness to recognize it and, and do it. And, and so our recent events that have occurred have elevated conversation and awareness and commitment and, and soul searching and, and, and so much we have what we did through this time Dan is that you know we met with our players and we we shared the stories and in the, the illustrations of what they were experiencing and have experienced in their lives as we've generally do but it's just taken on even more impact and meaning than ever before and that we must continue to do that we must continue to share the human experience that everybody has and that we're connected to so that we can better relate better understand better identify better care better to love them for that for what they've gone through and and, and in that, do everything within our power to help them because we care so much. And so, uh, I mean, that's a lot said to answer you, but we have to work at it forever. <laughs> it's been an ongoing issue. This is, it didn't just start. This is something that the big events that have happened in history that give us markers to where we could have made a, a, the positive turn to recognize and respect a culture and existence that needed the love at the time we missed out and we, we took false steps and we're mistaken and all that. We can't do that now. This can't happen anymore. We're too aware, too woke, too ready. We have to make this happen and we can't let anybody get in the way of it either. And so, uh, Dad.
0: sorry, my son is invading the closet where I'm, uh, um, doing a podcast. Daddy? So, yes, buddy. I got it. I'm doing didn't a, know, but, um, <laughs> I um, ready in 20 minutes. Okay. Thank you for telling me that. Appreciate it. Can you close the door? Love you. Sorry. Yeah, okay. We got more? Oh, why'd you have this? I'm I'm it's for the make sure the sound is good. You wanna say hello to these guys before yeah. we go? Okay. This is Alexander.
1: Hi. Hey, what's up, Alexander? This is
0: Coach Carol and that's Mike. This guy won a Super Bowl. <laughs> cool. <laughs> cool. What do we have for
1: dinner, Alexander? What
0: do we having for dinner? <laughs> having for dinner? Uh, avocado toast and then some other thing. Oh, avocado toast, oh, like a proper oh, millennial. Okay. Peace. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. Sorry about that. Avo awesome. toast. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: anyway, the idea is that we got a big job. We ain't got much time. We got to get after it. And we have to win this time for all of the people so everybody can be respected the way they deserve to be respected and recognized for how they deserve to be recognized. So, it's just an ongoing process for us. There's no like one thing that you do, there's no exercise in it. It's respect, it's caring loving, it's listening, it's listening, and it's responding to responding well. And uh, hopefully we can do a good job of that.
0: For somebody who's built a relationship based culture, it sounds like this is on your mind. And I know it's not new to you because you've been working in the areas of social justice for a long time. But it sounds like as you head into the season, this is on your mind.
1: Yes, absolutely. It is. I'm going to Compete my way through to not letting this ever be not anywhere from not on my mind. Right.
2: Imagine we're talking about a relationship based approach and a positive regard for the other. And imagine if you could the type of conversations that this container allows for. And I tell you, I've been part of many teams, and the work that happens inside the Seahawks during this phase has been extraordinary. The listening has been beautiful. The sharing has been on point. The ability to express anger and get underneath of it and work from that place is advanced. I couldn't be more pleased to be connected with the work that um, the Seahawks as an organization Coach Carroll's doing for many at scale. And certainly it starts with uh, the relationships that we spend near and dear time with.
1: Yeah, we're just getting warmed up. There's yeah. so much more to be done. Mm-hmm.
0: Gentlemen, this has been a pleasure. Did I commit malpractice in any way by failing to bring us into any subject matter that you were hoping or expecting that I would?
1: A lot of pillow talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a lot of pillow talk. (laughs) Dan,
2: you're so special.
0: (laughs) Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. I feel special. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put on my vision board uh, that I'm going to be the next quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks, so that, look out for me.
1: Let me know if you want to get any counseling about that, that vision board, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.
0: I'll be your, awesome. your intention
1: guide, though, if you, if you don't mind.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you, Coach, and to see you again, Mike. I really, really appreciate your time.
1: Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Big thanks to Pete and Mike. Really appreciate their time. And be sure to check out their audio original, which is called Compete to Create. It's available right now from Audible. They also have an online course under the same name, Compete to Create. And also don't forget that Mike's podcast is called Finding Mastery. And he talks to people at the tip of the spear in their fields to understand their psychological framework and philosophies toward life. It is available wherever you get your podcasts. Before we go, I want to thank the team, the folks who work incredibly hard to make this podcast a reality several times a week. Samuel Johns is our senior producer. Marissa Schneiderman is our producer. Our sound designers are Matt Boynton and Anya Shashik of Ultraviolet Audio. Maria Wartell is our production coordinator. We also want to thank the other folks from TPH who weigh in with a lot of wisdom and insight. Ben Rubin, Jen Poyant, Nate Toby, Liz Levin, and of course, my guys from ABC News, Ryan Kessler and Josh Cohan.
3: where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.
4: I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition.